Thank you, Madam Secretary. We will now move to member questions. I remind members that uh, you'll have five minutes uh, for questions. We will start with the majority and alternate from one side of the dais to the other. I now recognize the gentleman from Colorado, Mr. Lamborn, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for having this hearing. Uh, Madam Secretary, it's good to see you again. I remember when you used to sit right over there and uh, we had some good discussions. Uh, let me ask you about a Ninth Circuit case and then I wanna ask you about forestry. In the Ninth Circuit case, Center for Biological Diversity versus Bernhardt, the litigants argued, quote, if oil is produced from a project, the total supply of oil in the world will rise, increasing global supply will reduce prices. Now they go on to say once prices drop, foreign consumers will buy and consume more oil. So that part of the situation they don't like, but they do like they do recognize that more supply leads to lower prices. Uh, this citation was used against your department in the 2022 district court case opposing lease sale 257. Um, both the Center for Biological Diversity as well as Friends of the Earth have said in their briefs that increasing oil supply will lower energy costs. Do you agree or disagree with groups like that when, or anyone when they say that more energy, oil, and gas supply will lower costs? Thank you very much, and it's, uh, it's nice to see you too, Mr. Lamborn. Thank you. Um, what I can say is that on federal lands, um, oil production is up. It's at an all-time high currently. And so we feel we're doing our job to move those permits forward. And um, there are over seven, actually almost 7,000 permits available for drilling that haven't been used. Oil production is at an all-time high on federal lands. Um. Now, let me take issue with that, Madam Secretary. Despite rhetoric from this administration and its Democratic members here in Congress, anti-energy and anti-human policies have increased the cost of energy. When President Biden promised to end fossil fuels, production immediately decreased, as well as research development and exploratory spending. Uh, there's uncertainty that affects people's decision-making out there in the business world. So the result is this has redu reduced supply and raised prices. Uh, even worse, this administration has doubled down on its unreliable renewable commitments, which rely on cycling natural gas to make up for periods when they, uh, renewables are not producing. This increases the cost of energy. Um, a lot of things here, let's get into it. Uh, do you think that wind and solar are reliable enough or not reliable enough to provide baseload energy? Thank you very much for the question, uh, Mr. Lamborn. And um, of course, we're working very hard on a transition to clean energy because we feel, well, of course, we want to reach the president's goals uh, for clean energy. Um, and and that, will take some do, that will take some work. So all of us are working on that. I, um, I want to reiterate the fact that, that energy uh, oil production on federal lands is at an all-time high. There's many factors that go into what the cost of gasoline is. And I certainly understand raising my child as a single mom uh, that things are difficult sometimes. And uh, we're doing our part to help uh, reduce those energy costs by 
by opening transition, transmission lines, by moving clean energy forward. I know that that can be very cost effective and um, we are going to, to work hard to get there. Well, and I understand that you have long-term goals. I recognize that. But to reach those goals when certain measures of the administration reduce supply and increase prices, that has a human cost. Would, will you agree with me that uh, raising the cost of energy for the consumer out there, working families, single moms, everybody else, is, causes a human, has a human cost to it? I recognize, um, Mr. Lamborn, that there are many factors that go into what the price of gas is. And um, for our part, the work that we are required to do in the Department of the Interior, leasing land, issuing permits for, these, for the oil industry, oil production is at an all-time high on federal lands. Um, that's that there's more to it than that there, state and private lands also uh, produce oil and we don't have control over every single aspect of our energy but for our part we're doing our part we're working hard we're processing those permits there are thousands of permits that haven't been used and a lot goes into what the price of gasoline is it's not just what the department of the interior is doing thank you the gentleman yields back, and I recognize the gentlelady from California, Ms. Napolitano, for five minutes. Hello. Good to see you, Madam Secretary. <clears throat> I have a couple of questions. <clears throat> One deals with Colorado River Basin. Uh, it's crucial we invest infrastructure that entrench water because of the drought conditions in Southern California and all the six western states. Can you tell the committee how the budget cuts proposed by the House Republicans related to debt ceiling would impact f funding for water infrastructure projects the community needs to uh, get through the challenge. Congresswoman, thank you so much for the question. And yes, any budget cuts with respect to how we're managing this terrible drought in the West uh, will have a, a, a negative effect on, on the communities that we serve. Uh, I am uh, proud to have uh, Deputy Secretary Baudreau with me today, who, is, who has been the lead on many of these issues with respect to the Colorado River. If you would like for him to, um, to sort of answer um, more of the question in detail, I'd be happy to turn the mic over to Tommy. Thanks very much. Um, the Secretary is absolutely right. Uh, especially in these times of unprecedented drought and the strain that's on the system, what is needed is further investment in the Colorado River system in order to provide greater uh, water delivery capacity and efficiency. That's exactly what uh, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act are helping accomplish to move backwards by cutting our budget with respect to uh, Bureau Reclamation and Water Delivery uh, has the potential to uh, severely impact the 40 million people who rely on that basin for fundamental uh, needs such as drinking water and agriculture. The seven Western states. The other question I have is uh, on the uh, advanced large scale water recycling projects uh, that I, um, author last year, 
Can you share an update on the what progress has been made so far? And when will the money start to go out? Will it be next year after the draft criteria is finalized? I, I beg your pardon, Congresswoman. Would you repeat the question, please? It's uh, the new program that was started uh, in the last inf bipartisan infrastructure law, a new program to advance large water scale water recycling projects, provide drought food supplies to communities. Uh, the project uh, was the Large Water Recycling Project Investment Act. Thank you. Yes, th thank you so thank you so much for that. And I know that um, water recycling. We're using every tool in the toolbox, of course, and and know that everyone ha we all have to pitch in to make sure that these things work. Um, but with respect to the large scale water recycling program. The notice of funding opportunity for the program was released on December 23rd, 2022, uh, with applications being due on February 28th, 2023. A funding opportunity to allocate bill funding for this program is expected in early June, so just in a couple of months from now. And uh, the fiscal year 23 bill spend plan for reclamation includes $50 million for projects to be allocated under this particular program. When will the money start going out? Uh, it looks like the funding up, the allocation will uh, start in early June, so in a few months. Thank you very much. I yield back to Mr. Grijalva, the ranking, mem the ranking member. Uh, thank you, Mr. Politano. I just want to uh, ask for uh, unanimous consent to enter into the record um, uh, on uh, the impression that was given that uh, the previous Congress did not uh, uh, do any any oversight hearing or administration didn't participate. And my consent request is to enter into the record a chart showing that when we were in the majority, Democrats, in the last Congress, we called at least one administrative witness in one out of every three hearings that we had. That's uh, 17 different hearings. Uh, and I ask unanimous consent to enter into the record a resolution from the Republicans that aims to cut funding to the Office of Inspector General by 20%, which is not what one does when they're really concerned about oversight. And uh, unanimous consent, enter into the record a letter from the Fish and Wildlife Service in response to a document request from the Republicans. It's about a program meant to help employees with mental health and, and stress-related, which cost uh, less than 12,000 for six workshops. This was the focal point of their oversight. So if the majority is serious about oversight, the evidence up to this point doesn't, uh, doesn't indicate that at all. And I, and I yield back to the gentlelady. Without objection, the gentlelady's time has expired. I now recognize the gentleman from California for five minutes, Mr. Lamborn. Excuse me, Mr. Lamalfa. I'm the other, the other Doug. Yeah. Doug yeah, thank you. Thanks again, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> um, and welcome, uh, Madam Secretary. Good to see you again. Good to always uh, have a chance to work and speak with you. Um, you know, a lot of conversation in the beginning about, you know, so-called clean energy and such, and I just wanted to ask right out of the shoot, what, what is the basis for uh, CO2 levels that uh, the department is working off of? What percent of our atmosphere is CO2 at this point that uh, so much, so many decisions are being based upon? Congressman, thank you so much for the question. And um, of course, our, uh, so much of the work we do is based on science. 
Um, I am more than happy to have the U.S. Geological Survey or uh, another such um, bureau get with you on those specific levels. On, on the current CO2 level of our atmosphere? I, I don't have that current CO2 okay. level with me, but we are happy to follow up on that specific question with your staff as soon as... Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Let me shift gears to the Klamath Basin. Of course, something we've had quite a bit of conversation about and the uh, water usage up there. You know, the Klamath Project was created over 100 years ago for agriculture in that basin and such, and it's been a lot of dispute, especially in, especially in recent years, over what the allocation is going to be between that and uh, flushing down the stream for fish or what's kept in the lake for uh, sucker fish. Um, now, a lot of the data for what the lake level should be was based uh, in a period between 1904 and 1912 when the, the, it was the wettest period in, in recorded uh, history on, on the, the level of the basin. So it would seem that uh, current flow rates um, that are being demanded are way above what the pre-dam lake was delivering to the river. Would it be fair to think that that outlier data should be reconsidered since that was a window of, again, the wettest period on record recorded for the lake and many, many years have uh, shown other, other trends? Would it, wouldn't it be fair to reconsider that to outlier data? Congressman, thank you so much for the question. And um, I know you've had many, many conversations with our commissioner, Camille Tootin, who does a really wonderful job at the Bureau of Reclamation. And um, that, that staff who has worked on the Klamath Basin, living, eating, breathing um, this issue, I know that they, um, they they have a system that they work off of. And uh, of course, we're always happy to make sure that you, you are, that you are, um, that you have, that we can meet with you and convey that information and to you. And I do you. appreciate that. But, but the department is committed to supporting uh, the Klamath Basin communities uh, amid a fourth consecutive year of drought. I know there's been a lot of moisture in California that doesn't mean that the drought is over. Um, the extreme hydrolo hydrologic conditions over the last several years has made operations of the Klamath Project extremely challenging. Uh, we're working through those every time. Um, I, I am... Um, well, I, please, I'm, as time, I'm sorry, but as time uh, narrows down here, um, what we're talking about statistically is a, a short period of time over 100 years ago on really high lake levels, high inflow levels that don't seem to run on the average here. Let, let, me, let me take that to another portion of my question then, is that the Bureau insists that the historic lake, lake level is 4140 or 2.6 feet higher than what the USGS has accepted as the number is 4137.8. So the higher elevations are critical in determine, determining what the water rights are and what's going to be sent downstream. So again, we have a dispute as to what the lake level was uh, and the data that's, that it's being based upon. So would you commit to commissioning a new study by a non-political body to address these current discrepancies we have with BOR and USGS? I am more than happy to take your um, concerns, and we, we know how concerned you are about this issue, back to um, the Bureau of Reclamation, and um, we, of course, will will be happy to 
the whatever the committee asks of us, we'll work to respond in a okay. timely manner. Well, all right, I appreciate that, and that so there was improved water allocation in a really great water year on the lake, but it's still about 50% of what growers should get. And then um, over on the Trinity Lake side, I want to touch on that as well, is that it was deemed a wet year, yet the lake is only at 37%, while surrounding lakes are about to come to 100%, and they've doubled, more than doubled, the amount of water flowing out of that lake down the river. And it's even starting to flood some people's homes. So I'd, I'd like to forward that information, or it's, it's threatening to do so. If it goes much higher, it's right at the base of people's homes there and in that Trinity River so-called restoration project. There's so much water flowing out of that lake, it's gonna ruin uh, their needs for this, this summer, et cetera. So I wanna bring more attention to that. So uh, thank you, Mr. Chair, for it. I'll just tell you back. Gentlemen's time's expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from the Northern Marianas for five minutes, Mr. Sublime. Thank, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, good morning, Madam Secretary, um, your deputy and budget director, welcome. Good morning. Uh, I, let me start first by commending and recognizing the Biden administration's uh, recognition of insular affairs programs, some of the programs uh, in your administration of the budget for four insular areas, um, the Energizing Insular uh, Communities Program, which I still think requires a plan, but nonetheless, uh, I recognize that the additional help in technical assistance program as well, and Madam Secretary, the Capital Improvement Project, uh, which started with covenant funding for the Northern Marianas, and, uh, particularly, uh, was started at $27.7 million so 40 years ago and has remained at that number until this year. We're trying to see, we see an increase, a proposed increase of $4 million. Thank you very much. I've, you know, thank you to the department for listening. Um, of course, more listening is needed, but thank you anyways. Um, let me, Madam Secretary, could you please tell us if other departments or agencies uh, will follow your department, Interior's lead, and start to waive match requirements for the insular areas. Um, um, at the IGIA meeting in February, um, you announced that OMB has directed uh, all federal departments and agencies to conduct a review of the law to see if there were any authorizing statute that could bar waiving local match requirements for federal grants to the Marianas and other insular areas. Uh, Congress has already waived the local match requirement for amounts below 200,000, but OMB directed federal grantors to work to implement the law's waiver for amounts greater than 200,000, absent an agency-specific statute that conflicts. Um, will other federal grantors follow Interior's lead of additional waiver? Thank you, Mr. Sablon. And of course, I'm happy to take that message back to the White House. And um, we recognize the importance of reducing the financial burden on these communities and increasing flexibility for the grant funding um, for underserved communities. Um, I know it's a relatively small portion of our budget, but it really goes a long way in the communities that these grants serve. So we're happy to... Um, yeah. to, to no, thank you for your, your effort, your decision also, but you know, we look forward to seeing the response from the other several agencies and departments. So, um, Madam Secretary, can you give us an update on when Congress can expect to receive the final compacts bilateral agreements 
the second round of financial assistance under the compacts of free associations which govern the relationships between the United States and the Federated States of Micronesia, then the Rep uh, republics of the Marshall Islands and Palau are coming to an end in 2023 and, and next year in 2024. I depart, I commend your department and Office of Insular Affairs for your efforts supporting uh, Special Envoy, Envoy Joseph Yoon in achieving signed memorandum of understandings for all three compact countries on the basic levels of compact funding for the next 20 years. However, there isn't much time left before the end of this fiscal year when authorizations for funding to the Marshall Islands and FSM will expire. When will compact agreements, when the compact agreements are transmitted to Congress, will they include the administration's proposed funding sources? We need to prevent a repeat of the Palau compact uh, renewal, when, uh, which took seven years to approve again, and because of differences between the administration and Congress uh, funding source. You know, one time we're talking about even passport fees. We, at this time, we need these agreements, you know, approved, signed by Congress, uh, signed and approved by Congress. It's in our interest at this time without going through too much. Can you? Tell us when we can expect this, please. Um, thank you so much. I, I know how important this is to you, and um, it's also important, very important to us. To Assistant Secretary Cantor, who I know you're in touch with, is working closely with Ambassador Yoon, and um, compact negotiations are moving forward um, uh, with the Ambassador and the State Department. Um, they're ongoing. We're making progress with the FSM and Palau, and um, my team has been meeting with FSM in Washington, D.C. to finish these negotiations on some of the subsidiary agreements under the compacts. So what I can tell you is that they're moving forward. We're pleased with the progress, and uh, we're happy to have Assistant Secretary Cantor stay in touch with your office um, as to timing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll you back. Thank you. The gentleman yields back. The chair now recognizes for five minutes the gentleman from Idaho, Mr. Fulcher. You're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Madam Secretary, good to see you again. Thank you for being here and, and uh, uh, from my home state of Idaho. It's uh, good to interact with you today. And uh, we've got a lot of challenges on federal lands in my state. And you're certainly uh, invited at your convenience to come pay us a visit sometime. I think that would be... Um, I think that'd be very fruitful. It'd be good to show you some things that are uh, true and happening or not happening on the ground, as the case may be. But you made a statement to Congressman Lamborn a few minutes ago that oil production on federal lands is at all-time high. And uh, admittedly, I don't know what metric that might be measuring, but um, that's, that's not the perception. I can tell you that that the confidence of the oil companies, at least for any kind of new permits, is probably at an all-time low. And so, but let, let's just assume that what you said is accurate. It's at all-time high, or, or, and we certainly need it because we're, we're growing and uh, our energy sources are definitely in question. Uh, are, you, are you committed to keeping it that way? Thank you very much, um, Congressman. We are, of course, we're, um, we're following the law and we're, we're committed to moving the applications for permits to drill forward as expeditiously as possible. And we have done that since, um, since I've 
been in this position. So um, we're, we have career staff who take their jobs very seriously and they're moving those forward. So that's, that's actually gonna be, um, uh, that might be surprising to some, but that, that should be comforting to some if that's in fact the case. So I thank you for committing to that on the record. And uh, I can tell you with some alternative sources in Idaho, and again, would love to see you there at some point, we've got geothermal, we've got hydro, we've got nuclear. Uh, a number of those, those uh, uh, permits are in process. It does appear that, I won't say being flat out ignored, but there's, there's just not a lot of focus there. Can I ask you to touch on geothermal, on hydro, nuclear? What is the attitude towards those sources, especially as it comes to on, on federal land? The attitude in our department is that we want to use every tool in the toolbox, and um, we are happy uh, if, if the if geothermal um, company comes to us and wants to lease and permit something, we take that seriously. We know that this is an all-hands-on-deck moment for energy transition, and certainly using our natural resources uh, will help um, move us away from this terrible climate crisis that we're experiencing. It also creates jobs in rural communities, which I know um, is the case in your state. So um, I'm more than happy to visit. Uh, please just get in touch with us, and, and we're happy to plan a visit. Well, again, that's, uh, that general message has not been the case, uh, that we have not received that from other members of, of um, uh, the agencies. And so just know that, that yeah, I appreciate you putting that on the record. Uh, we did pass, I might add, uh, what's called the CLEAN Act as part of HR1. Mm -hmm. That was a bipartisan, uh, highly supported piece of legislation that, that um, uh, streamlines mm -hmm. geothermal uh, exploration. And so uh, we encourage that to be followed through as we, as we move forward with geothermal in particular. That's a great one. I want to shift gears because I don't have much time left. Lava Ridge Project. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the Lava Ridge Energy Project. That's a very large wind project in Idaho. Mm -hmm. And um, it, we're told by power experts in the region that in order to uh, uh, match the output, because it's not based on power, in order to match the output, we'll need to have three to four times the peaking power production to match uh, uh, an equal amount of base load. Are you familiar with the Lava Ridge project? Is that something you're supportive of? I, uh, I would love to learn more about that project. I know that we are, um, we, we know that we're in a transition and uh, we're all going to work hard to, to get there. It's a, it's a real concern in my district. And I want to just close with a, a statement before I run out of time. The BLM has a proposal, it's a different subject. BLM has a proposal on, on a conservation and health landscape rule. And I can't help but think that the BLM's proposal will result in some further backlogs if that's adopted in the management of species and create new bureaucracies and multiple for, uh, in the multiple use system. I believe that the administration should truly be focused on elevating all the forms of energy and not cutting off productive land uses. And I just want to put that on the record and, and share that with you, Sec Madam Secretary. Look forward to seeing you in Idaho. I Madam appreciate Chair, that. Thank back. you, Mr. Full. Gentlemen's time's expired. The chair now recognizes the gentlelady from Nevada. Ms. Lee, you're recognized for five minutes. 
Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, uh, Ranking Member Grijalva. It's a pleasure to welcome Secretary Holland, uh, especially as a member representing the district that thanks to your very strong support is now home to America's newest national monument. Uh, the the Avikwame uh, National Monument in its 500,000 plus acres is now part of nearly 50 million acres of land that my state, uh, in my state that's stewarded by BLM. Uh, that's about 70% of Nevada all told and a very full plate for an agency that is lacking a full staff. In December of 2021, the BLM director, Tracy Stone Manning, said that her top priority for the Bureau in 2022 was fixing staff shortages. And you told me that very same thing in the appropriations hearing last year adding that you were working on ways to expedite hiring for positions that support operations. Obviously, this was welcome news as local officials in Nevada have emphasized that it can take years for BLM to process some straightforward requests that should instead be taking weeks or months. So can you please uh, detail the progress that the Interior Department is making in fixing these staff shortages uh, including the success of ex efforts to expedite hiring where essential uh, in day-to-day -day operations. Thank you so much, Congresswoman. And, and yes, we're very pleased about Evikwame, and I was really happy to see you there. Um, and interestingly, um, when I was in the car with Director Stone Manning, we had that very conversation when we were in Nevada about staffing. And of course, you know that staffing went down considerably during the last administration, and it's taken a very long time to, um, to move that back up. So um, it has had real impacts on Western communities and on the communities that you serve we are, um, I mean, all I can say is that we're working hard at it. That is still a priority of Director Stone Manning. Um, it, it is incredibly important that we have uh, the folks on the ground to steward these lands. Um, thankfully for Avikwame, as you know, it will be co-stewarded by um, the tribes in Nevada. And so um, we'll have that, um, that help there. But, um, but certainly, um, that's why our budget request is so important. Um, that will allow this important work to continue and will continue to make this a priority. Thank you, I appreciate that commitment. Uh, I wanna turn now to some BLM regulations. Uh, the Bureau has proposed a new public lands rule for uh, allowing for 10-year conservation leases to designate conservation as a formal use of public lands on par with energy development grazing and recreation. This uh, has been characterized as a si seismic shift in lands management. As you know, I'm a committed supporter of conservation, but I'm also committed to reaching another critical goal, which is transitioning to 100% uh, renewable energy by 2035. And I want to be certain that BLM's rulemaking will not end up slowing down the right kind of energy development right at the uh, precisely the wrong time when we need to be speeding it up. So could you explain how this proposed rule uh, counts for the increasingly urgent need to expedite renewable energy development on federal lands? Thank you, Congresswoman. And we believe very strongly that conservation and clean energy go hand in hand on BLM lands. 
Um, the, the rule does not intend to slow down any of these projects, and in fact, we are like-minded that we do need to ramp up our clean energy projects. We've had uh, many successful efforts on helping clean energy projects um, identify the right areas. It's, it's placing them in the right areas, um, uh, making sure that the stakeholders are at the table early on so that we have consensus going forward. That Sometimes that will slow down the process when not everyone is on the same page. So um, everything we do is in furtherance of um, of a healthy uh, environment, and um, those clean energy projects are, are top of mind for us. And um, I can, I just will tell you that the role, this particular role has no intention of slowing down any um, clean energy projects on BLM lands. Uh, just one other thing. Uh, obviously, we're looking at some proposed budget cuts. Could you explain how these would affect uh, BLM's progress in uh, managing federal lands, especially in the West? So I think BLM was one of the hardest hit um, bureaus in um, the Department of the Interior during the last administration. Hundreds and hundreds of people um, resigned. And it's difficult to staff up that, uh, you know, those hundreds of years co of collective experience and knowledge. Um, and so we're working on that. Um, I, the budget will help us tremendously in making sure that we can prior, prioritize that with the BLM. Um, I mean, in every way, shape, and form, um, our public lands belong to every single American, and um, we want to, uh, to make careers in, in this public service um, available to uh, as many people as possible. So I can just tell you that we are committed to, um, to that idea. Um, the drought isn't going away. The climate crisis isn't going away anytime soon. Um, it's an all-hands-on-deck moment, and we take that very seriously. Gentlelady's time has expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Utah, Mr. Curtis. You're recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Madam Secretary. Uh, like my colleagues, um, I enjoyed serving with you uh, here and co-chairing uh, the Public Lands Subcommittee. Um, it, it may bring up a difficult issue. Shortly after your appointment, you and I found ourselves on a different side of a very contentious uh, issue in the state. For those of you who are not familiar, it was the Bears Ears land designation. Just quickly, round one of the designation was President Obama de uh, designated 1.3 million acres of, as a monument. Um, round two was President Trump repealing that designation. Round three, which is where you came in, is uh, President Biden uh, reestablishing uh, those boundaries. Now, this may be an oversimplification, but the argument in, sense, in essence was we must do this to protect and preserve this area. Uh, we don't trust uh, the state. We don't trust the county. We don't trust the elected officials to do this, as they have done it for many, many decades. We have to do it here from Washington, D.C. Today, there is far more looting, far more grave robbing, vandalism in this area. Today, um, and by the way, I want to preface all of this with your agents, your BLM folks on the ground are amazing. We, we, we love and appreciate them. I don't want to d d diminish them in any way. But not a single penny of resource has been sent their way after this 1.3 million acre designation that the federal government took on as a responsibility to preserve and protect. 
At the time of the designation, there were two BLM agents, law enforcement agents, that patrolled that area. Today, I could be wrong, but I think there are two agents managing, imagine, 1.3 million acres. Today, not a single sign has gone up, not a single fence has gone up, nothing is any different except for the fact that the monument designation brought the attention to the world of this area, and now they're, no, now they're coming, and we don't have the resources to protect this. Your budget, if I read it correctly, has $3 million for every single brand new designation across the country. How in the world does the federal government propose to do what it said it was going to do when it made this a monument designation and took the stewardship away from the local people? Congressman, thank you very much for the question. And um, you're absolutely right. We, we, um, they, as we've been discussing, there is a shortage of staff, uh, particularly. But it's not in the staff; West. it's budget. Like you, you don't even have the budget if you had the staff. We, we, I. And this is pre-budget. This is not counting any budget cuts or anything. This is like the federal government made a decision several years ago to to designate this as a 1.3 million acre monument to preserve it and has not even tried to put resources in to do that. And, and the, the argument on the ground is, by the way, we're doing that quite well as, as local and state uh, government. We feel like we preserved and protect that area in a magnificent way. And now the federal government's taking it over without adding any resources. How do, we, how do we justify that? How do I go back to these people and say, the people who thought they knew better than you, who thought they were better stewards than you, have ignored you and have not done anything in this area? I absolutely uh, appreciate your comments, uh, Mr. Curtis. I will absolutely take those to heart and have uh, discussions with my staff at the department. I understand your concerns, and they're my concerns as well. well I know you well enough to, to take that quite sincerely. I want you to know I, I, that means a lot to me that you would make that commitment. And I think we as lawmakers and policymakers need to understand it's not as easy as waving a wand and protecting all of this area because we've designated it. We've got to, that, that comes with a tremendous responsibility. We're taking that responsibility away from the state and we're gonna take that. And I think when we make these decisions, we gotta go, like we've gotta step up for that, right? If we really want to preserve and protect this area in a way that it was different than before. So thank you for your commitment. We'll take you up on that. Let me switch gears just quickly. Uh, almost 20 years after the passage of the Energy Policy Act of 2005, it's Title V on Indian energy. We still do not have enough petroleum engineers, geologists, and staff within the Bureau of Indian Affairs to support development of Indian energy resources. As you know, I have five tribes in my area, particularly the Utes and the Navajos. These are not gaming tribes. They rely on natural resources. Uh, what steps can we take in Interior to, to bring more energy experts into the in, uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs? I appreciate that comment as well, and I take it to heart, Mr. Curtis. We, we will I'll take that back. We'll have a discussion on it. Okay. It will be... Would, would love to look with your team on, on my tribes and, and be an asset and, and, and uh, help them um, because, as you well know, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult lot moving forward in many of these cases, and I would love to team with you on that. And thank you for coming today. Absolutely, and, and thank you as well for caring about the tribes in your state, and we'll, we'll absolutely be in touch. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Madam Secretary. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The chair recognizes the gentlelady from Michigan. Ms. Dingle, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And like everyone else, it's great to see you, Madam Secretary. Um, Secretary, 
One of my top priorities is ensuring that as a country, we have the capacity to reach our full potential when it comes to building out electric vehicles and the charging infrastructure, which means we have to strengthen our domestic supply chains for critical minerals from mining and processing to recycling. We also know that our current mining law which has not been meaningfully updated in 150 years, tips the scales towards mining companies and away from communities who need to have a fair say in the decision making if we're gonna build a strong, enduring mining industry in the United States. So Madam Secretary, what initiatives is the Department of Interior taking to ensure we have a strong, safe, environmentally sound mining industry to buttress our domestic supply chains for ED development and employment to meet our clean energy goals. Thank you very much, Congresswoman. And I am very pleased to have sitting next to me uh, our Deputy Secretary, Tommy Baudreau, who is the chair of the Interagency Work Group on Mining Reform. And if it's okay, I would love for him to um, answer this question in detail. Thanks very much, uh, Secretary Holland. Uh, for all the reasons you said, this is one of the highest priorities in the administration. I met with the White House about it just last week. Uh, we do have a substantial challenge in front of us uh, under the General Mining Law of 1872. Uh, suffice it to say, uh, the policy priorities of the Grant Administration are not necessarily the same as uh, the challenges we face today. Uh, and so there is room to partner with Congress on addressing that. One of the reasons why we've been as successful as we have been with uh, renewable energy is the ability to do uh, leasing and deconfliction. Uh, and so having that type of authority in the department, I think, would accelerate our ability to uh, develop domestically reliably sourced uh, materials to help uh, the clean energy economy. And so look forward to working with you on all of that. So I was going to ask you if there were any updates from the interagency working group on mining law reform, but that would, I, I would, I think many of us here, all of us here want to work together on this issue uh, and on the permitting, but, and I do think we need to, we made an announcement last week that I have concerns on, quite frankly, and we're not going to get there without really addressing this issue, so I want to say that. But I'm also concerned that, about how the Republicans proposed budget could hurt the pro uh, progress that the department's made in terms of advancing our goals to develop these mineral supply chains. Could one of you comment on that? Uh, again, uh, the resources issues across all of our responsibilities, I think, are uh, critical to being able to meet the moment, as the secretary said, on all of the challenges facing uh, the United States uh, relative to public lands, uh, and that includes permitting. Uh, we are doing the best that we can with the resources we have, shifting people around, uh, providing guidance and priority, uh, but uh, to be in this setting and talk about uh, the need to do better and do more, uh, while at the same time talking about uh, resource cuts is an uh, incongruity that, um, that I think is obvious. Let's stay on permitting, which is another subject I feel very strongly on and really do want to work with the chair and others on. Uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act, we provided the Department of the Interior with $150 million to increase staffing capacity and resources for permitting activities. Either one of you, how will these resources help advance effective and efficient permitting on an accelerated timeline? 
Thank you very much, Congresswoman. And um, in concert with existing authorities, these resources will increase capacity and improve efficiencies for environmental planning and consultation. Uh, the goal is to better support the implementation of the infrastructure investments now underway. Um, our budget proposal would apply to all applicable federal agencies government-wide and would expand the authority for federal agencies to transfer bill funding to the Fish and Wildlife Service to accelerate and improve environmental reviews for infrastructure projects and energy solutions. I'm going to get one more question in on that. Due to reconcil reconciliation rules, we couldn't adequately fund the ESA consultation and related permitting activities in the RA. The administration's budget request includes a legislative proposal to provide additional resources for the ESA consultation. Can you tell this committee why these resources are needed for the ESA-related permitting, which the goal we all have? to make it faster. Thank you, thank you, Congresswoman. And we're happy to talk more about this with you, with your office. In addition to the increase- We all need to hear it. For the ESA planning and consultation work, the budget also proposes to expand authority for federal agencies to transfer funds provided under the bill to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and NOAA Fisheries. Gentlelady's time has expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Wisconsin. Mr. Tiffany, you're recognized for five minutes. Welcome, Secretary Holland. Uh, yesterday, the National Park Service Director Chuck Sams testified that $200 million from the Inflation Reduction Act for deferred maintenance had been transferred to the Presidio Trust at the direction of the Department of Interior's Assistant Secretary. Did you direct anybody in your senior leadership to tell the National Park Service Director to transfer $200 million in IRA funds to the Presidio Trust? Thank you so much for the question, and um, it was our understanding, um, Congressman, that that was the intent of Congress at the time, and so that is why we did that. So um, actually, uh, Director Sams testified in regards to that point that you just made, that it did not follow the established process, that he understood it to be congressional intent that uh, despite the fact in the IRA that does not explicitly state this funding will be used for the Presidio, he understood it to be congressional intent. Yes, we understood it to be congressional intent. That is correct for the Presidio funding. So um, did you or anybody in senior leadership have conversations with Speaker Pelosi's office about this? No, I did not have any conversations with Speaker Pelosi's office, but we, we understood it to be congressional intent. Um, we are, we, I mean, these are public lands that belong to all Americans. We, we want to do the best job possible. So is Director Sams lying to us? He said this was done at the direction of the Department of Interior's Assistant Secretary. That's what he said yesterday. Uh, no, he's, uh, thank you for the question. And um, the assistant secretary, of course, is understood that it was, I'm, I'm not under, sure if I understand your question correctly, but we understood that it was congressional intent for this funding to go to the Presidio, which is um, public lands and belonging to every single American. Uh, and I believe that is how the assistant secretary. But the language did not acted. say it's explicitly uh, in the IRA. It does not explicitly state this funding shall be used for Presidio. How did, 
how did you know it was congressional intent then if it didn't explicitly say that? We, I, I, I mean, I'm ha we're happy to get back with you on any absolute specifics so why don't to we do, do with this issue. Sure, sorry to interrupt. I'm going to move on to some other questions here. Um, I would really appreciate that. We want to do some follow-up on this because there's clearly two answers that are in conflict here. I will say this, though, uh, in conclusion in regards to this issue, is um, NPS to us stands for the National Park Service. Uh, we're very concerned that this has become Nancy's Park Service with a quarter of the funding for deferred maintenance going to one representative's district. One out of 435 got a quarter of the funding for deferred maintenance. What does that do to the rest of our national parks? Um, would you agree that in any good faith negotiation, it's important for all parties to know the fair value of what is at stake? You know, so when parties are negotiating that everything be on the table, right? Would you agree with that? I'm not, well, I, I, in what respect, so Mr. Tiffany? If it, you want to make sure that all the information's on the table, and then you can have a good faith negotiation. That's generally too, true, would you agree? Sure. Yeah. So are you aware of the ongoing situation in my district between the Lac du Flambeau tribe and town residents? Uh, I am familiar with it, yes. Uh, somewhat familiar. I've read several articles, and I know that um, our Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs went to uh, Wisconsin to speak with the tribe, and I know that uh, they've been working hard to get a resolution. Does the department to plan to release the appraisals for the four roads in question? Uh, I sent a letter on January 31st, and they won't release the appraisals. Are you going to plan release the appraisals? Thank you. Um, according to our solicitor, um, we are not at liberty to release those um, appraisals. Um, and of course, we follow so, the advice of our attorneys. And so. So, how do you have an, a negotiation that works in good faith if you can't have the appraisals out in front of you? I ask that as a rhetorical, uh, rhetorical question. Do you support? the tribe, and I would emphasize, this is the tribal council. There are many tribal members in Lac du Flambeau that do not agree with what happened here. Do you support the tribe putting barricades on the roads like they did at the end of January when it was 25 below? We had a record-setting winter uh, for snow, um, stranding 65 people. Do you support the, tr uh, the tribal council putting barricades on those roads when they went up? Congressman, um I know I don't need to tell you this, but we understand that, and, and I know you know this too, that the Lac de Flambeau is a sovereign Indian nation, and uh, we don't actually have, uh, we can't mandate that they do, do anything or not do anything. Uh, but what we have done is we've worked to try to resolve the issue. And uh, as I mentioned, Assistant, Assistant Secretary Newland went to the tribe uh, to see how we could assist in, in moving a resolution to the issue, and I know that we all want it to be resolved. I would just close with this, Mr. Chairman. The um, Lacta Flambeau tribal chairman was here just a month ago before the Appropriations Committee, and he said the Bureau of Indian Affairs has failed both the tribe and the local community. His words, not mine. I'm hoping the Bureau of Indian Affairs will get their act together on this issue. I yield back. And when his time has expired, the chair recognizes the gentleman from California. Mr. Levin, you're recognized for five minutes. I thank my friend, uh, Chairman Westman, and I thank my friend, Secretary Holland. It is wonderful to uh, welcome you back here to the House Natural Resources Committee. Uh, thank you for all your leadership. So important to uh, provide that sustained funding for the Department of Interior for all the critical initiatives that you've got, helping protect our public lands, promoting domestic clean energy production, providing outdoor recreation, and responsibly managing 
managing our Western water resources, which are more important than ever. I want to start off by uh, discussing the importance of reforming our federal oil and gas leasing program in order to promote the responsible stewardship of our nation's natural resources. Uh, last year, we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, and it made historic and much-needed changes to the federal onshore oil and gas leasing program based on provisions of a bill that I had introduced, the Restoring Community Input and Public Protections in Oil and Gas Leasing Act. Specifically, the IRA ended non-competitive leasing for oil and gas sales, raising annual rental rates, and increasing the minimum bid for public lands. All those changes were very overdue, very common sense, and create more balance for bringing federal lands in line with what states and private landowners are already charging. And even after the IRA, states like Texas and Oklahoma still charge higher royalty rates on, their on, on the state lands than are charged on the federal lands. And according to Taxpayers for Common Sense, this is not some left-wing group, it's not a right-wing group, it's Taxpayers for Common Sense. What we did in the IRA will not raise prices at the pump or consumer energy prices. I'll say that again, will not raise prices at the pump or consumer energy prices. We've got that independent analysis if anyone wants to see it. But it will raise hundreds of millions of dollars in additional revenue that could go towards all sorts of things uh, like infrastructure improvements that'll benefit everybody, not just a handful of oil and gas companies. So Secretary Holland, with that as a background, from your perspective, how will the reforms from the IRA improve the return for taxpayers on our public lands? Thank you so much for the question and thank you for your, um, for your work in this area. Of course, um, I don't have to say this, um, the climate crisis is, is, is upon us and whatever we can do, every tool in the toolbox that we can use to, um, to move our clean energy forward, um, that is good for our land, it's good for our people, and um, we'll, we're happy to always work with you, Congressman, to um, move, to restore the balance that we need to our public lands. Thank you, and, and uh, as a follow-up, I understand that BLM has drafted proposed rules to implement the changes uh, in the IRA, specifically around oil and gas leasing. Those are currently at the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. Uh, just wanted to get the current status of those regulations and, and when we might be able to expect to see proposed rules uh, published. Thank you so much. The draft regulation is under review and we hope to have the proposed rule published this summer. We'll, we'll ha we're happy to stay in touch about that. Excellent, look forward to that. In, uh, in addition to making clear about how the reforms will be implemented, uh, the rulemaking represents an important opportunity for BLM to look to the future and further improve uh, the onshore oil and gas leasing program. Uh, will the regulations that are currently pending describe how the Department of the Interior intends to evaluate and adjust the royalty rate, rental rate, and minimum bid in the years after the 10-year period that's specified in the IRA? Um, Congressman, um, what I can say about this issue is that it's really important to ensure that American, Americans, who these public lands belong to, get a fair return for the resources that are on those lands. Um, every American owns every piece of public land, uh, so it's important for us to um, make sure that we're doing the best we can for the American people. Well, we certainly appreciate that, Secretary. Very grateful to your commitment, to the commitment of uh, the professionals at Interior and BLM for uh, responsibly implementing these common sense reforms that we made in the Inflation Reduction Act. 
And I urge the administration to expedite this regulatory process so that the IRA's reforms are durable, clear, and fully protective of the American taxpayer, and so that they promote the conservation of our public lands. And I, I thank the Secretary, and I'll yield back. The gentleman yields back. The Chair recognizes the gentleman from Alabama. Mr. Carl, we recognize for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Madam Secretary, thank you for being here today. In your testimony earlier, you said interior programs are important to the national economy, generating jobs, supporting local economy growth, building res uh, uh, residual, uh, uh, residual changes to our climate, and managing important resources. I must say, everything I've seen from your department says just the opposite. And I stand to differ with you on that one. How can you claim in your testimony you believe that the interior programs are important to this nation, economy, and jobs to our local economy when the actions that have been taken are just the opposite? We, I feel that we have done an excellent job of ensuring that uh, we include local communities in, in the value of our public lands. Let me ask you another quick question. Can you give me a simple yes or no answer? Does, does MET coal, is it exempt from coal leasing moratoriums? Congressman, I know how important this- um, Yes or no, ma'am, that's all I'm looking for. I, I want- That's all you, I'm looking for, I yes or no. I want you to know that um, the BLM has made me aware of how important this issue is it, to you. I'm glad you got someone to talk to you because I've called your department numerous times. I can't get phone calls returned. I've been from Bruce sitting right beside you. I've called him twice. I've left him four messages through other people. I finally got one of your staff to call me back. And when you can't get the own staff from these departments to call back a congressman, ma'am, that is wrong. What does that tell me that tells me they're not interested in hearing my voice or anything I have to say? So pardon me if I seem a little edgy this morning, but I, I think... I think this is well out of your control. I don't think you've got a control on what's going on here. I've got a permit from this company laying on someone's desk, 98% completed. It is a met coal project. It should be already released. It should have been processed. It should be, we should have the thousand people on the ground working at this day. But I can't get your staff to return a phone call and I can't get you to tell me if met coal is, is, is not part of that coal moratorium. So I, how do you think we feel in this country when we're dealing with, with bureaucrats just like this? And it goes on for months and years. This is two and a half years this process has been going on. Congressman, I'm going to make sure that somebody calls you back and I apologize that your calls haven't been returned, but we'll make sure that we do that very soon. Last time we met here, you and I had a conversation and you were gonna call me back on, on a meeting down in the Gulf Coast. I've yet to hear from a soul, not one person. So ma'am, your words don't carry a lot of faith in me. So I would appreciate, if you would, give me the courtesy of having someone to give me a call. Your department has become this huge forest fire and you're consuming everything you touch, you're burning it up. This, this, is, this is coming from constituents and businesses that are trying to run their businesses. This company is not even in my district and I'm fighting for them. You know why? Because these are Alabama jobs. These are people that, that, that are related to the people that live in my district. But it's important that our people and our districts believe in the federal government. When they get to a point that they're scared to death of us, 
that's when we, we quit. We have failed them. We need to go home. We need to start over. We need to fire people and get some people that actually know how to return a phone call. I'm a salesman. I may call you and give you bad news, but I will return your phone call. That's for sure. So I'm asking you, please do something. Just don't pay lip service to, to get crippled through this meeting Then I don't hear anything till next year. I think your budget is bloated. I think it's being, being misused in, 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 the, in the wrong places. And, and I think you know that. I think you're sitting here trying to avoid that from some of your answers. I'm watching your body language. I'm a salesman. I read bodies. I'm real good at that. And you're a nervous wreck, and I appreciate that. I'm sorry. And, and I would be too. But you've got to get control of your people around you, ma'am. I'm telling you, because you've got people that have got an agenda that does not fit what this country needs. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I turn back to you. Gentleman yields back. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from California. Mr. Huffman, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and welcome back, Madam Secretary. It's always great to see you. Um, you've already received several questions from the other side of the aisle about the great uncertainty in the fossil fuel industry uh, due to this administration's policies. You know, despite the climate crisis, um, they appear to be worried about the poor oil companies who are rolling in record profits that they have squeezed out of U.S. consumers at the expense of the planet. Madam Secretary, I'm worried about a different kind of uncertainty, uh, that uncertainty that is being experienced by young people all over America about whether they'll have a livable planet, about whether they should even think about bringing children into the world, given what the science tells them is coming if we don't much more rapidly decarbonize. And as grateful as I am for the major steps forward on climate action we have taken under this administration, I think you know how I feel about the business as usual for the fossil fuel industry that continues to take place under this administration, particularly the Willow carbon bomb, which I believe was a terrible decision. But as strongly as I disagree with those things, I do wanna acknowledge how refreshing it is to have you as the Secretary of Interior. Uh, for too long, um, for decades really, we have allowed a very corrupt revolving door to exist at Interior where people make lots of money in special interests that profit from our public lands and public resources, then spend a little time at Interior and then monetize that going through the other side of the revolving door. Your predecessor was the poster child for that. Uh, but you are there for the right reasons, uh, and I'm glad, like the ranking member said, uh, I'm glad you're there. I'm proud uh, of your public service. I was going to ask you about permitting, but uh, Representative Dingell beat me to it. Uh, we know that the main reason for delay in upgrading transmission lines and bringing clean power online is the lack of agency resources that are preventing us from speeding up environmental reviews and permitting processes, and we have put significant funds on the table through the Inflation Reduction Act. The only thing I will add to the discussion you had with Representative Dingell on that uh, is that it's critically important for offshore wind, and you visited my district and we got to talk about a very exciting offshore wind project in Humboldt County, thank you for that, and the, the auction was very successful. We're excited to bring that and all the jobs that are gonna come with it online, but transmission is gonna be the big bottleneck, and so, 
maybe even more important than the offshore wind project itself, getting the transmission upgraded uh, is the key. And I thank you for uh, what I know will be your very focused attention on that. I want to move to the Central Valley Project Improvement Act. Um, last December, you rescinded a terrible uh, Trump administration decision that concluded that environmental restoration uh, in areas harmed by the Central Valley Project was deemed complete so that your predecessor's former clients no longer had to pay a CVPIA restoration surcharge. Uh, that is an indefensible conclusion. You can certainly look at the struggling fish and wildlife um, in the Central Valley Project watershed. You can look at the struggling wildlife refuges. Uh, and you did the right thing by reversing that, and I want to thank you for that. Um, you found there was no basis for it, and you instructed the Bureau of Reclamation to collect the full mitigation and restoration charges owed. Uh, Representative Porter and I have previously written to you expressing our concern about how Reclamation is doing cost accounting for that. Um, the way they're doing it would appear to shift hundreds of millions of dollars in environmental compliance costs from Central Valley Project contractors to federal taxpayers. And so I just want to ask you, um, what progress are we making in properly allocating and collecting the hundreds of millions of dollars owed by Central Valley Project contractors to get this situation right? Thank you, Congressman. Um, Reclamation will continue to collect the required mitigation and restoration charges from water and power contracts as directed by law. And they will also continue to take actions to support restoration and enhancement of the Central Valley Project's natural environment. Can we get an update, though, on the specific cost accounting? Absolutely. I'll, I'll ask um, Camille's team to give your office a call um, shortly. I appreciate um, that. And Congressman, if I could say something very quickly about the transmission lines. Um, earlier this year, we broke ground on the 10 West transmission line in Arizona for, it was for solar power uh, in the middle of the desert. Lots of solar panels there. Um, and the reason that went through so quickly and so well is because the BLM director in Arizona uh, really made sure that all the stakeholders had a say from the very start of the project moving forward. So we feel like that is a great model for moving things expeditiously through. We agree with you. And so we're, this transition, it's happening now. And so we're, we are learning best ways to cut time on these things and uh, suspect that um, future projects will be as expeditious as this one and we'll work to even make them faster. But thank, thank you, Madam you. Secretary. Thank you. Yield back. Gentlemen, as time's expired, the chair now recognizes the gentleman from California, Mr. Duarte, you're recognized for five minutes. Hello, Madam Secretary, thank you for being here today. Um, from California is no secret, I'm from the Central Valley. It's no secret that we've got our share of water problems, too little and too much here recently. Um, we've got historic levels of rain and the other, other years we have hardships of drought. Um, a lot of the precious water resources we have in both wet and dry years are being flushed out to the ocean to restore uh, salmon habitat, re restore salmon and the Delta smelt. Um, we've been doing this for several decades now, 40 years and 20 years of, of maximum flows that have depleted our groundwater, destroyed irrigated landscapes, 
Um, we've got agricultural removal. We've got food costs coming. In the South Valley, we've got respiratory illness and pediatric respiratory illness and um, very disadvantaged communities at levels we've never seen before. We're, we're literally creating a dust bowl with some of these practices. Um, how are you measuring success? How are you committed to measuring success? And do you have a program to take a look at some of these uh, fish flows through the Delta and um, compare them to their negative impacts and, and give us kind of a cost benefit analysis and maybe adjust them? Thank you so much for the question. And um, any specific details, of course, we're happy to follow up with your office on that. But what I can say is that um, Camille Tootin, our reclamation commissioner, who I hope you've had an opportunity to um, speak with at some point, um, t t takes all of these things very seriously. We know that a lot of folks are mis have the misconception that the, the drought is over, but we know well, that. Well, no, I'm, I mean, sorry, ma'am, but Madam Secretary, but the, the facts are pretty clear. We've been flushing very, very large, gargantuan amounts of our precious water out to the ocean since the early 90s to attempt to restore salmon and, re and restore delta smelt. I mean, I hope this is on your radar, on your, on your personal radar. I mean, California is a huge food resource for, for America and for the world. Um, it's, a, my district's in a very economically disadvantaged, it's a Voting Rights Act district, it's 80% you know, Hispanic, lots of farm workers out of work. Mm -hmm. I really hope that as secretary, um, that you would take personal interest in the really abject failure of the, of the fish flows programs for both the salmon and the smelt. And at, at this point in your, in your service, have at least some, uh, some large bullet points of, of how you would criticize this and how you hope to improve it. And we'll talk about forests next because that's another abject failure in single species um, management for restoration. And, and our forests are overgrown and burning all the same. So please tell me you've got California on your radar personally and explain to me, even, even in a pixelated way, what, what you intend to do to, to criticize what you're doing and either defend it or, or change it. Thank you. I appreciate the question. What I was going to get to was the fact that uh, with all of this water, we do store as much as possible. Uh, Reclamation has a program where they're recharging groundwater, so a lot of, of irrigators have taken advantage of that program, and there have been millions of acre feet that have um, you, been used to recharge sure. the groundwater. So we're working. Uh, we have conversations with folks on the ground in, in all of those areas. Let me, um, let me add to that, please. Um, California water infrastructure hasn't been added to significantly in 40 years. We haven't. If you take kind of a, a top list, build Auburn, raise Shasta, put in Temperance Flat, put in sites, all the big water projects that could really move the needle in terms of California flood control, habitat restoration, agriculture, housing affordability, water sustainability is housing affordability. It would be about $12 billion. California has a $3.6 trillion annual GDP. So for 0.3, for one third of 1% of California's annual GDP, we could catch ourselves up with two or three generations worth of water infrastructure and solve the environmental pressures, solve the flood control pressures, solve the economic pressures, as well as the human health 
and welfare pre um, pressures in the Central Valley. And I, I really wish I could hear some details from you, if not now in the future, of how you intend to make it happen. We've put HR1 through to get NEPA reform that will allow these projects to go forward in a reasonable manner, meaning not 40 years with no progress. And, and I'm hoping that, that you'll be a full partner. It's not very much money when we look at the overall economy of California, and we're hoping you'll partner in making this happen. Thank we're, you. We're absolutely happy to work with you. Thank you, Congressman. Gentlemen's time has expired. The chair now recognizes a gentleman uh, from California. Uh, Mr. Mullen, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Extreme weather events like the atmospheric rivers that my district in California has been seeing for the last several months are expected to increase in frequency and severity as a result of climate change. Subsequently, the flooding, sea level rise, and other damage to private and public pro property as a result of these events will also increase. As severe weather events become more frequent and dangerous, low-income homeowners will continue to rely on federal, uh, federal assistance in recovering after disasters, but often lack resources to properly weatherize their homes to get in front of these kinds of events. So the process of establishing defensible space to protect from wildfires and natural land management solutions to protect from sea level rise and flooding is increasingly expensive. So my question, Madam Secretary, is how can Congress and DOI uh, best support these kinds of resilience and weatherization efforts uh, particularly for uh, lower income homeowners who may not have the means uh, to be uh, um, hardening those homes and getting ready for what is to come with these extreme weather events. Thank you very much for the question. And we recognize that um, it's the communities who can least afford the change that, that are forced to change. And that's uh, true with so many native communities on the coast and Alaska and in, uh, across the West Coast. But at DOI, our focus with regard to these communities has been assistance with climate-driven relocations um, for tribes, forest management for wildfire, and ecosystem restoration to build more resilience from drought and disasters. In 2022, Interior committed $115 million for 11 communities to support community-driven relocation. Three tribes um, with shovel-ready plans um, we're also, um, we, we're focused on these communities. Um, uh, in, in addition, the budget includes $63 million for the USGS Coastal and Marine Hazards Program, uh, and that will leverage field research, high-resolution data, and modeling uh, to help these communities. Um, and happy to give you a, a full um, accounting of, of how we're doing our best to help those communities. Great. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Yield back my remaining time to Ranking Member Grijalva. Among the many investments that prioritized in the Inflation Reduction Act, including $200 million for deferred maintenance at the Presidio of San Francisco, a unit of the National Park Service owned and operated by Presidio Trust, and it's accurate that the Presidio Trust is intended to be financially self-sufficient. However, it is not eligible for funding under the Great American Outdoors Act, and it requires some assistance to deal with the lingering effects of the pandemic. It's a, it's a clear need to support a national park unit that belongs to all Americans. Um, 
My colleagues on the other side of the aisle shouldn't be surprised by this allocation. We debated and voted nearly two dozen of their amendments right here in this committee during the discussion of the IRA. And so uh, tax on this investment are misguided, they're misplaced, and we should treat this uh, public unit as we do with any shared heritage and history in the Park Service. And with that, I yield back. And without objection, the documents accepted to the record. Uh, Gentleman from California, yield back. Gentleman yields back. Chair now recognizes uh, the gentleman from Montana. Mr. Rosendale, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, welcome, Secretary Holland. Uh, trusting government is paramount if our system is to work. Transparency is a main component establishing that trust. I just really appreciate the representative from California uh, raising the issue of corruption and self-enrichment on the back of taxpayers. So my first question to you is, could you tell me when you plan to fulfill the January 2nd FOIA request from Protect the Public's Trust about communication between DOI and BLM and your daughter in reference to lobbying efforts and activities involving your daughter and members of your staff and the protests which turned into a riot at interior headquarters, which seems to have, uh, your daughter has participated in. Thank you, Mr. Rosendale. Um, we have career staff who handle all of our FOIA requests. Um, they, we get thousands and thousands of FOIA requests, so I recognize that they all can't be attended to immediately, but uh, they will get to those FOIA requests in a timely manner. Um, no offense, Madam Secretary, but it has been six months time since, or nearly six months time since that request has gone out. And what is being requested is electronic documents that certainly can be transferred and shared very easily. And we're not talking about anything of a national security issue where mm -hmm. people have to go back through and evaluate it. So when, uh, why is it taking us so long to uh, generate these documents on such a sensitive subject where I would think that you would want it to be public to show that you are a good, transparent public servant. Thank you, Mr. Rosendale. Of course, ethics is incredibly important to me as it is to my entire team at DOI. Uh, there it is, is and it's not only the, the fact and the, and the actions that take place, Secretary, mm -hmm. but it's also the perception of, the perception of, and this is what helps us build our pillars for the trust in our government. So again, what is taking so long and when can we anticipate those documents being provided? Thank you. Uh, as I mentioned, there's career staff who handle all the FOIA requests. Uh, they have a process. Uh, I, will, um, I will make Thank sure you. I that they're working on the I would appreciate if you would go back process. and see if we could not make that a priority. Thank you. Uh, re recently, you have a proposed plan to guide the balanced management of public lands, a new rule that has come out. And within that, uh, this tool has the potential, and I'm taking it directly from BLM document. The tool has the potential to expand opportunities to accelerate restoration of big game migration corridors or establish carbon markets, for example, and directly responds to comments from state and industry partners on the need for a reliable path on public lands on which to pursue compensatory mitigation to facilitate development projects. Those lands are governed by the Taylor Grazing Act, which is a law, not a rule. 
an act to stop, and which, which the Taylor Grazing Act specifies, an act to stop injury to the public grazing lands by preventing overgrazing and soil deterioration to provide for their orderly use, improvement, and development to stabilize the livestock industry dependent upon the public range. By what authority do you propose a rule which is in such conflict with the law? Congressman, I, uh, I want to assure you that um, it, it's our job to follow the law in everything that we do. And um, So why would you propose a rule then, a rule change that is in such clear contrast with the law, uh, especially after we've just seen the U.S. Supreme Court recently decided in West Virginia versus the EPA that Congress, not agencies, had the final authority based upon the major questions doctrine. The, um, Congressman, the public lands rule is, is currently under public comment. It's not final yet, and so we'll get all those public comments in and be able to incorporate those. I in. understand that it is under consideration right now, and I assure you I will be providing extensive comments against this, but what I'm asking is why would you propose a rule change that is in such clear contrast with the law that is already in place when we have just had a recent decision from the Supreme Court that says Congress, not the agency, has the final authority. Congressman, the proposed rule um, that is under public comment now and is not final, uh, it really does just work to put conservation and other uh, public lands are multi-use. It's putting all of those uses on equal footing. Thank you very much. Well, they're not supposed to be on equal footing, and we need to abide by the law, not the rule, and I will be submitting those comments, and hopefully they are incorporated. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Chair now recognizes the gentlelady from New Mexico, Ms. Ledger Fernandez. You're recognized for five minutes. Thank you so much, uh, Chair Westerman and Ranking Member Grijalva and Secretary Holland. You know, I can't be more grateful to have you here with us today to share your expertise. You know, what we are really seeing across the country is that you have elevated trust in our federal agency, especially after there had been such decimation of the personnel in the Department of Interior. And if we don't have the people to do the job, they can simply not do what is needed to protect our public lands and our public resources. I'm very grateful that you constantly remind us that these resources that are being, uh, whether they're being taken out of the ground or you know pumped up or a solar or wind, right? Those resources are public resources. They belong to every single citizen, and we have an obligation to make sure that the full American public benefits from the uh, exploitation of those resources. You're a champion for our rural and tribal communities, for natural and cultural resources, and for our beautiful country and planet. Thank you for that. I wanna talk about some of the really great progress that we are seeing from the bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, especially, let's touch a little bit about something that really impacts uh, states around, uh, not, not just New Mexico, but also stakes in Louisiana and Pennsylvania and many other places, and that is the Orphan Rail cleanup. Uh, it included $4.7 billion to clean up Orphan Rails, consistent with my Orphan Rails Cleanup and Jobs Act. 
Uh, we just awarded an additional $560 million spread across 24 states to ramp up that plugging and cleanup efforts. Uh, but we keep finding more and more abandoned wells. And we know that cleaning up these abandoned wells creates jobs in those local communities, which is also key. Uh, Mr. Chair, I'd like to place into the record a recent Washington Post article titled, There Could Be Millions of Abandoned Wells in the U.S. Plugging Them is a mo Monumental Task. Ordered. Thank you. Secretary Holland, uh, I think we are very concerned in D.C. about two major fiscal issues. One is the impending crisis that is only a crisis if we do not raise the debt limit. It's normally done on a regular basis. Uh, it is a made-up crisis that may, we might be taken to that brink. But the other piece is the proposed cuts to our agencies, to what Americans need to get the job done. Could you tell me if they had the proposed cuts that uh, Republicans have uh, talked about, what would that do to our ability to clean up orphaned wells? Congresswoman, thank you so much for the question. And uh, I would first just like to say that right now there, uh, there are uh, over 10,000 well sites now that are in the process of being uh, plugged. That's on state and private land. So um, we recognize how important this is uh, to the future of our country. Of course, reduction of the historic funding from the bipartisan infrastructure law for orphan well cleanup would be a, a very large mistake for all the reasons that you mentioned. And above those, uh, one of the most important is that the jobs that, that this program creates. Um, I know that um, fun this funding is already making a tremendous uh, difference on the ground. I was recently in Texas where there was an orphan well that was actually bubbling up oil. And, uh, and so these are, these are places that we know um, we, we can clean up. Legacy pollution is, is really um, a problem for many issues, but um, I'm grateful that President Biden has seen the value in cleaning up uh, these mistakes of our past. Thank you. And another area that I'm very concerned about is the, the uh, proposed cuts, what that would do uh, uh, to the Bureau of Indian Education, or also to the law enforcement. You have pointed out that right now the uh, law enforcement is funded at maybe 17% of need, and the budget cuts would uh, perhaps reduce uh, the number of law enforcement in an area that is already underserved, as well as teachers in the Bureau of Indian Education. Can you just touch quickly on what the proposed budget cuts would do for law enforcement, so as we are making sure that we have better law enforcement in Indian country, as well as teachers. Uh, can you touch quickly on that, because I'm running out of time. Congresswoman, um, of, all the, of all the issues that tribes bring to us, law enforcement is one of the top issues that they, that we, they are struggling with, and therefore we're struggling with it. Um, if, the, if the budget cuts go through, we could lose 1,500 tribal law enforcement personnel. It's tribal law enforcement officers plus the per support personnel. Uh, and it could also lead to 500 fewer teachers. There would also be delay in BIE school repairs and the building of schools for so children. So these are real budget cuts that are going to impact people in their safety and in their ability to teach our children. Thank you very much, Madam Secretary. I yield back.